And now, on the Crossing Broadcast, your guest hosts, Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. Welcome in to Undisputed. I'm Skip Bayless, and last week I hated the Cowboys. Dak Prescott, he can't throw the ball to save his life. Zeke Elliott, he can't do it all on his own. Oh, but wait, they beat the Eagles this week. Now I'm back on the bandwagon. I love the Cowboys, and I never said everything that I said last week. Of course you would say that. Skip, you have no backbone. You have less of a backbone than Markel Fultz. I don't know if you've seen this, but the 76 is acquired. Jimmy Butler, I was lifting. I was lifting down in my weight room in my basement. And let me tell you something, Skip. I have never seen in my entire life as a basketball reporter in the great city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where they have a football team who won the Super Bowl, but we will ignore because they are absolutely dreadful. They lost to that Dallas Cowboys team. I don't know if they lost or if the Cowboys won or if they gave it away. It does not matter. We are going to talk about the 76ers this morning, this evening, whenever these people are listening to this show. Jimmy Butler, a top 15, top 20 player in this league to join with Ben Simmons, who still does not have a jump shot, but that's okay, and Joel Embiid, who is on an MVP pace. Skip, this 76ers team is going to at least, at least, be the fifth seed in the East. Your thoughts? (laughs) Well, let's talk about Carson Wentz, more like Carson Wentz, because he's not elite. He never has been elite. And he's not even the best quarterback in the NFC East, which would be Alex Smith, of course, at this point. And we're going to talk about that today on Undisputed. But first, let's get to your team, your town, your Philadelphia 76ers, who blew another 16-point lead, Stephen A. Well, let me ask you a question, Skip. Wait, you know that these guys are are on different, different shows now, right? They are. Like, I'm on Undisputed, and you're on First Take. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Okay. It's a crossover, like (laughs) Allen Iverson did to Michael Jordan in a very famous clip from his rookie season. Do you remember it? Were you there? I was. I was in press row. Do you remember that time he stepped over? You remember that time he stepped over to Ron Liu, but then they went on to lose the next four games, and they lost the final. But that was a nice moment in that series. Anyway, oh, um, See, if, I, uh, in case you haven't figured it out by now, uh, this is Kevin Kincaid. Hey. And hey, uh, Russ is joining me on the podcast. I'm joining Russ, really, on the podcast. Look, He's we, the main guy. We just joined each other. We, we, joined, are, we have joined each other. <laughs> we have joined each other in, in this vacuum of, uh, of sadness. Although, I don't know. This is the thing. I was going to go Stephen A. on this just mm-hmm. so I can get my hot takes out. But um, I, I have to go into it for a second. I apologize for not doing a skip like accent because I don't really know what his accent is. I just tried to say things that I thought he would say. You know what I mean? Skip, let me ask you a question. When we look at what happened this evening with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Orlando Magic, the Sixers had a 16-point lead, another double-digit lead. The players have changed. Robert Covington is gone. Dario Saric, the homie, is gone. The iconic, (laughs) immortal Jared Bayless is gone. A double-digit lead is gone again. You picked up another top 15 player, and yet there is one consistent on that sideline, and that, of course, is Coach Brett Brown. Is he the man to lead this team forward? Because I'm not so sure. All right, I'm done. Well, you know what? Honestly, like, and on a serious note, they had the play where Joel Embiid uh, 
they they get him they spring him on that like little back screen that reddick uh ball screen kind of that inverted pick and roll where they use the the shooter as a screener and he had a path to the rim and he got like contested at the rim and he couldn't finish the dunk orlando comes down on the other side of the floor and they hit a three-pointer uh at that point call the timeout there call the timeout right there because they have all the momentum you're coming off, you're kind of staggered after a, after a play like that. They come back on the other side of the court and they have a really bad offensive possession, a really static offensive possession. Um, they miss a shot or whatever the hell happened there. And then Orlando comes down and scores again, and then Brett uses the timeout then. Um, I just I just think he's like so he's so hesitant to use those timeouts at the, at the right time. Like they're always like two or three possessions too late, you know? And um, 17 points. Yeah, you know, That's, at that point it was 17 points, right? And and it's it's not just, I, I appreciate the fact that Brett has like trust in his guys to kind of play their way out of the slumps and whatnot, but the timeout, the other half of the timeout is just stopping the other team's momentum. That's exactly it. You know? So yeah, like I, I, I got myself in some hot water because of I think it was last week I tweeted it, that Brett Brown and Dave Haxtall are the same guy. Just nobody wants to admit it. They're they're both at least in their own way somewhat decent at developing some talent. But they're not tactically aware coaches. I'm actually lumping Doug Peterson in this. I don't even care. I'm just going to double, triple down on this. I don't think we have a lot of tactically aware coaches uh, in this city. I'll extend that to Jim Curtin. I don't know about Gabe Kapler. Yeah, but, I don't know if but, uh, I don't know if. But is tactical is, the right word, or is it just like well, um, what's, this what's is in game the... management? So yeah, like, yes. Yeah. So okay. So let yeah. me. So let's let's call it in game management. Brett's inability or or unwillingness to call timeouts. This is a hackstall thing. This is like this is a, a very consistent thing. It you, you are right. Part of it is to break up the momentum of the other team. And and in a sense, I guess Brett's thought process would be, I've got three top 15 players in this league. Somebody's got to be able to get a shot and, and slow this thing down. On the other hand, when it's not happening, when those shots aren't falling, and when Joel Embiid is jacking up, did he take eight threes tonight? Because it felt like most of his shots came from outside the arc. Yeah, he felt like he spent the whole game I mean, on the perimeter. Yeah, he even had like 11, defensively and offensively. He had 11 yeah. points in the first four minutes of the game, which was awesome. And then he went he went pretty cold. Um, they gave him a triple-double, but I don't know where that last that assist That 10th assist, nobody seems to know. Came Zumoff from, kept questioning it yeah. on the telecast. Yeah. Brett's got to call timeouts. And, like... If, if this team can't shoot its way out, which it doesn't look like it can right now, I think a lot of this, we've got to give Jimmy Butler some time to learn the playbook. Like, they, they said that on the telecast. It's going to be a thing. Like, his um, his awareness overall and the change of, of offense that he's going, uh, that he's, he's coming from and going into, a question that you asked, that I enjoyed you asking at the uh, introductory press conference about mm. him going more to an emotion offense, this dribble handoff style, yeah, and, and what that means for him. You know, until he really gets himself acclimated to like what this team is and where these guys are, and they get their timing down, like it's not going to look perfect. You got to no. remember, like yeah. I think a lot of people are going to go hot takey. I'm guessing on sports talk radio calling in saying, "Well, they're no better." Like you shouldn't lose to Orlando, and I don't think you should. I, Orlando's not a yeah a very yeah. good team. They've got plenty of lottery picks, but they're not a cohesive unit. But if if you look at this thing, like, and I'm not trying to compare them and, and say they're an all time great team, but like LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were all top 20 players when they joined up. And it took them the better part of the first half of the season to, to you know, yeah. find some cohesiveness, yeah, yeah. some cohesion, cohesiveness. Yeah. So, like, I don't expect this to be perfect right off the bat. I do expect the coach to kind of bail his team out at times. And he didn't do it in this game, and, and that's disappointing. You know, he's he just he, very he's, well ended up with a better result. Yeah, you know what it is, Russ? It's like Hackstall, too. They, they seem to have issues... 
identifying that momentum shift and sort of recognizing it before it's too late, yep. you know, before it kind of comes to bite them in the ass. You know what I mean? Um, the union are the same way too. Um, at least three of the teams <laughs> in, in town are, you know, I didn't watch enough Phillies. I don't know if, I don't know if that's, I mean, you could talk about pitching changes and shit like that, but that's a whole other podcast for another time. But yeah, yeah I mean, sort of the sort of that, sort a, of that fi- mound visit if your pitcher is about to. to well, that's true. Or whatever, and that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, hitters have have better control because but they it's can step that, out of the box. But yeah, like it's that lack of realization that look, this has already gotten past the point where you should use that timeout or where you should have slowed it down. You know, I just I just feel like the Sixers are like, I mean, I've used this analogy in stories before. I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast before, but they're kind of they're kind of built like a. I, I don't know. Like sometimes you see like these like these really nifty like offenses in football that that move the ball up and down the field. Spread offense. They're gouging you back and forth. They're running up and down. It's a lot of high tempo. It's a lot of rhythmic. It's a lot of like no huddle kind of just like natural. You know, just like you're in a groove, right? But at some point, like then you find yourself up by two touchdowns, and maybe the other team starts to adjust. Can you f- adjust to their adjustment? Can you start running the football? Can you hand the ball to your fullback? Can you chew clock? Can you, you know, change your approach in the fourth quarter and play play with a lead? I, I don't feel like the Sixers have that like change of pace right now, you know. And that's that's what you brought Jimmy Butler in to do for sure, you know to to do some of those fourth quarter ISO close it out kinds of possessions. They actually ran a play for him tonight. They ran it on the very first play of the game and they ran it with like one thirty left on the clock in the fourth quarter. It's that little uh, three man set where they go stand two guys in the corner and then they run him out on a flare uh, foul line extended flare. And then they bring him back around uh, Embiid and, and Simmons as the two screeners. And he, I thought he had a jump shot coming off of that. They was they called a foul on, on Orlando on that play. Um, and then they tried to run two sets for Redick at the end of the game too, where they just one he stepped out of bounds and the other he committed a bad foul again, again on that um, inverted pick and roll. So like I feel like the stuff that they're calling is okay. I mean I think Brett's play calls are okay. I like his sets and I think for the most part they run them pretty well. But um, you know when the game was they went on that huge run and then he started calling some more stuff and they didn't execute it down the stretch when it really mattered. Yeah, yeah. But what did you I think don't, of? I don't have, I don't have any that. It's, no, it's well I, stated. Like I, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they well, and I don't think anybody would have expected anything more from. I don't, were people expecting heroics from Butler on well, in game one? I mean, he so, went for four, so, okay. fourteen and four. You know. Here's where my disappointment was. I, I, you know, if an, if anything, ISO scoring is one of the simpler things to game plan around. I mean, watch watch a few games that Houston plays and watch the sets they run for Harden. This mm-hmm. isn't like some kind of complicated set right it's it's four out and it's well five out and clear the lane and let Harden go to work and drop fouls one of the best things that Jimmy Butler brings to the table is his ability to get to the line you saw it early in the game um but but to me like there are certain points in that game and maybe it's during that 17-0 run where you just call you know a, a flat out iso play for Butler and just get everybody out of the paint I mean yeah this is the weird thing that I think we're we're gonna have to kind of keep an eye on so Jimmy, to me, strikes me as this guy who should be the perfect balance, that, that guy that you thought you were drafting in Fultz to an extent, of being a guy who can get his shot anywhere on the court and, and converting at a pretty high rate. But like what, what I don't think we saw enough of and what I'm slightly worried about, just the way that Joel 
found himself at, out on the perimeter so much in this game. I don't know if it's just because he rode the initial high of making so many shots from deep early in the game. But, you know, we're, with Dario, I was always concerned because Dario liked to set himself up in the low block mm-hmm. around the same area that, that Joel did. They they constantly were in, in that same general area, and a defense could just collapse. You can effectively use one defender to defend both of those guys because you know that, you know, once that guy receives the ball, his other option isn't there. Like, the other guy has to flare back out mm-hmm. or he's just mm-hmm. clogging the paint, right? And so watching the way that, that some of these sets kind of unfolded, and again, like part of this is, I, I guess, just Jimmy needing to get used to like the flow of the offense and where to move. But there were times that it, it just kind of looked like the, the paint was clogged up and Embiid wasn't even down there. Yeah, so, it was strange. It was strange, like, and, wasn't it? And that, that to me was, that, that was weird. And maybe that's just not having the awareness of where he's supposed to be offensively. But again, if that's the case and, and you feel like he might be kind of clogging up this motion offense, Mm-hmm. Then, then call a couple ISO plays. Yeah, let, I mean, let him get into the flow of the offense. And yeah, and then you can then you can you know run like slow then, the game down. It's and then okay. he can pick everything up as he goes, and he becomes yeah. more familiar with the team. You know, that's not hard. It's kind of wasn't it kind of Golden Tateish <laughs> the way oh, they used him? Like all the big talk about him this week, and then he only played like eighteen snaps or something like that, which is strange. Um, Butler went for fourteen to four. Embiid they gave nineteen, thirteen, and thirteen. Ben Simmons only took five shots last night. Uh, or tonight, last night, whenever the hell you're listening to this. How many shots? Um, ben Simmons was three for five, nine wow. points. Um, they only got to the line as a team 15 times. I think Joel shot 20 free throws alone the other night. Um, Wilson Chandler uh, f- had like a stretch after he, – he killed off the run by himself. He hit like a tough floater in the paint. Then he hit a 27-foot three-pointer. Um, then he hit a reverse dunk on the baseline off the dribble. And then he came out – uh, and Mike Mescala finished the game. I, I don't know if that was a, still a minutes restriction thing because Chandler is up to 23 um, at that point, but he started the game. The starting unit was Chandler, Embiid, Simmons, Reddick, Butler. Markel Fultz was the odd man out uh, who ran you know, point guard with the second unit, which I think we all kind of thought at this point made made the most sense for him and for, and for the team as well. Um yeah, I don't know why Chandler wasn't in there at the end. It might have been a minutes thing. We'll see if something comes up with that. But I, I yeah, I mean, I don't know. They just really didn't get to the line. Ten offensive rebounds. Um, turn the ball over fourteen times isn't isn't a ton, but yeah, it's just his runs. I just think Brett needs to be more aware of like of of being able to identify that and see it when it's coming early and call the timeout early. You know, I don't I don't think it's really all that much more. I'm gonna continue to beat this drum. Jimmy Butler's got to be the guy to get to get into Ben Simmons' head. And explain to him that if he does not shoot the ball at all, it hurts this team. And when you look at this and and he puts up five shots in the game, what was it? One of them were from around the free throw line. The rest were all finishes at the rim. Yeah, I'll pull it up right now. Um, I'm trying to find it on on the uh, advanced stats. No, you not, you not you yet, talk but, and I'll find it. Okay. That's what my so, mom used to say like, to my dad when we were driving. She would point to something on the side of the road and then he would look at it and then she'd say, "No, you drive. I'll look at it." No, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, no. that's that's love. Because she didn't realize she was dis- distracting. It with the, well, true. Um, so, th- like this to me is part of the problem, and and maybe this is just Ben deferring a lot, but it felt like so much of this game was Joel Embiid kind of staking that claim that like this is my team, I'm the primary option. We are not deferring to this new guy, <laughs> and it's not in a negative way. It's not like it's not like he hates Jimmy Butler. No, already. I mean I think he just um, wanted to come think, out and, and establish himself too. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's part. Part is just continuing to establish himself um, and trying to, you know, take a little bit of the pressure off Butler where he doesn't feel like he needs to come in and, and try to drop like 25 or, or 28 in his uh, hmm. Oops, in his sorry. debut for the team. But, 
Ben has got to shoot. And, and like, again, when we talk about the areas that these guys set up, especially, you know, along the post, Ben can continue to get himself available around the free throw line and try to initiate offense from there and try to exploit a matchup or a mismatch, and that's fine. And he can be aggressive and attack the rim, and that's fine. But, you know, we've seen this. We've seen it since the Miami series. We saw it in the Boston series, and we've seen it against any team that has any kind of, you know, ability to switch around the perimeter. Teams just play off him, and that just allows you yeah, to clog yeah. up, you know, to clog the lane, make Joel's life a lot more miserable, which is probably part of the reason that he comes out to the arc as much as he does. He took four shots inside the restricted area, uh, so three go. for four there, and then his longest shot was a nine-footer. There we go. Markel actually hit that nice jump shot from – he hit two. He hit one like, from just inside the like free-throw line. 13-footers, yeah, and then he tried another one from like uh, – from like 20. Markel actually had a, a half decent game. He was uh, 8-3-2 and two on 4-6 for six shooting. Yeah, isn't it ironic? It's because everybody was sitting here talking about like, well, Jimmy Butler's going to get into Markel and he's going to straighten him out or he's going to scare him away or whatever the hell, you know, right? Yeah. But it's probably going to be more of, uh, it, you know, what happens with, with him and Ben, right? You know, because they're going to yeah. be on the floor more than Butler and Fultz are going to be on the floor. Now Now we know because because Markel's not – uh, you know, going to be in the starting unit. So that's kind of interesting to me, you know, but the other side of it is that, you know, is if, if Embiid is taking 20 shots a game, if JJ Redick needs 12 shots a game, if Butler's going to start taking like 14 or 15 shots a game and then Chandler, how, how much is really left for Ben, you know? Um, there's plenty of the like, ball to go see, around. There's, there's sure they can, they can share happening. the ball. They can move it around whatever, but, um, you know, you're only averaging like the te- teams are only averaging like what, like 80 to 90 shots, shots a game on, on average. Right. So, um, I don't know. It's just something interesting to keep an eye on, but I think it's more, I think it's going to be more how, how Butler affects Ben's game and his attitude and his, his interest in shooting versus anything really Markel related, you know? Yeah, it could be. Um, what did you make of the press conference yesterday? They pulled every single person in. It seemed like everybody in Camden was there um, um, with the front, first, o- <laughs> front office lined was, up on the sides and everything. I, I don't know if anybody else thought this, but when I saw him come out in sweats, the first thing I thought of was who was the last big time Sixers acquisition in a trade that came out not wearing a suit? <laughs> It's Andrew Bynum. Yeah, and we were all sitting there saying that Justin Patton is playing the Jason Richardson role yep. this time around. Yep. You know, it felt exactly it, it did feel very similar to that. Didn't I was it? like, oh my god, is he never going to play? Are we going to be talking about like growing cartilage into a uh, in a petri oh, dish? God, like, yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, was, know, I, I, I think it's. I look on on one hand, I think it's refreshing. You know, you talk about like what what a Philly guy is and what's going to resonate with the city. Like yeah. in theory, in theory, the way that he plays. And the way that he handles himself is is very Philly esque. It's very blue collar. Um, but if you are unwilling to take into account how his Chicago and Minnesota stints ended, you'd be doing yourself a disservice. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I like the guy as a player. I think he has the potential to put them over the top. I don't know if I don't think as currently constructed they can win the East. I do think that this makes them much more competitive against Toronto and against Boston, both of whom are exponentially deeper teams but i do think like when you have top end talent the the sixers have the best top three 
of any team in this conference. Yeah. You yeah. can put them up even against a lot of Western Conference teams. I mean, when that defense um, gets clicking, I mean, that's a pretty damn good unit you have out there now. I mean, Wilson Chandler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, four of your your five starters. Um, and then if you can cover for J.J. Redick and kind of mask some of his deficiencies there, that pretty much makes up for losing – you know, an all defensive guy in Robert Covington. And we all know that Dario yeah, I mean, Dario was a was not a defensive stalwart either. So yeah. I feel like they I feel like they got better. You well, know, obviously only, on the defensive end. There are only two teams in this league right now who I think can say that they have three of the top twenty players in the league. And it's it's Golden State and it's Philadelphia. And you just kind of fill in the cracks with everything else at this point. Yeah. When you look at what the trade ended up being, I mean not only did you get out from under the Jared Bayless contract, which was great. Yeah, I can't um, believe they, they took that, that off. That part was wild. Yeah. You gave up a second-round pick when everybody expected a first-rounder to, to be a you know prerequisite to any deal. Mm-hmm. Realistically, you traded Robert Covington for Jimmy Butler. You know, like pe- I know people love Dario, and I was a big Dario fan. I think Dario is, is a good player. But the more I watch this team, and again, this comes back to watching them get exposed in the Boston series and watching how this the season was unfolding. Mm-hmm. Not only was he killing them from the arc, but I looked at him and I, I kept saying to myself, he's like an inch or two sh- too short from being that small ball five where he would be of, of the best value. Yeah. And yeah. to me, in, in this league that's going positionless and this league where fours are really just threes who are you know a little bit longer, he doesn't fit. He didn't fit on this team. People can argue and they can go back to the efficiency and that, that starting lineup last year. And to some extent, it's fair. It's it's efficient if he's shooting around 40% from three, which he was not doing to start the season. But when you look at the two teams that you need to get by, and, and throw Milwaukee in if you really want to, but, but Boston and Toronto easily could have exploited Dario. And what you saw in the playoffs, even with Miami, was the game plan was, was built a lot around sagging off of Ben and then on the offensive end attacking Dario because he just didn't have that lateral quickness that, that you need if you're playing the four in this modern NBA. Yeah. So to yeah. me, like Dario is a nice role player and maybe he finds a lot of success in Minnesota because he's going to be able to play off Carl Anthony towns. Andrew Wiggins is going to be open on the wing. He has a guy that he, he's familiar with in Covington and Covington, his defensive versatility allows, you know, a lot of switching to happen that I, I think is a little bit underrated, but realistically this was almost like a trade of Dario of um, Robert Covington for Jimmy Butler straight up. Robert, and when you look at it, like you are losing out on a guy defensive versatility wise. That yeah. like Covington is so unique, and that he can defend one through four. Some would argue one through five in a small ball lineup. Jimmy Butler, I think, is a better on ball defender. So yeah, oh, absolutely, shutting, absolutely. At, at yeah, shutting yeah. down Kawhi yeah. in the playoffs, or you know, fronting against you know anybody from Kyrie Irving to Gordon Hayward to Jalen Brown to Jason Tatum. Jimmy Butler is a better shutdown defender. So I think you've gotten better. I think you've gotten a lot better. And while there's that nostalgia thing, and I, I was as much of a process guy as anybody, <laughs> I I was sad in a sense to see those guys go because you watched them develop and grow in front of you. But if you went through that trade and the second it got announced, you didn't say, damn, this was a great deal by Elton Brand. If you were so caught up in the nostalgia of what the process was, that you couldn't see that you were acquiring a top 15 player in this league for a guy who was a D-league throwaway, a guy who Howard Eskin said was never going to land the plane, uh, and Jared Bayless in a second-round pick, then, like, I don't know what to tell you, but you're out of your mind. But nostalgia is not even – I don't even think nostalgia is the the word you're looking for. It's more like 
justification, is is it not? You know, I mean, because as long as Robert Covington was on this roster and, and playing well, and Dario Saric was on this roster, and you know, you hoped he had started playing a little better this year, you know, it always helped the argument for everybody who agreed with the process and everybody who's a Sam Hinkie person um, that the justification for doing that and tanking in the first place was always going to be tied to how guys like Covington and Dario performed and. You know, if T.J. McConnell ended up being a, a regular member of the rotation, those kinds of things. And even then, you heard people kind of changing their story, saying, well, you know, you took it, you mined a guy from the D-League who wasn't even drafted, you know, turned him into a guy with a cost-controlled contract and made him the centerpiece of a deal for a top-20 NBA player, which is not wrong. That's not, you know, the process hinky people who say that, they're not incorrect in, in saying that at all. I mean, to for Robert Covington, the beauty was is amazing. You know, it's a success story that really didn't get a ton of play here because I, my, my theory on Cove has always been, I've written about this on the website before, but I don't, I don't think I've ever really shared it on the podcast before, was that you know the, the, the opinions over him were so divisive because, um, you know, first of all, a lot of the casuals who came back on the bandwagon last year were not watching the Sixers from 2013 to 2016. You know, a lot of people simply did not watch the team during the tank, right? Um, and they hate the tank and they disagree with the tank. So they naturally have this kind of thing where they don't really – necessarily love all these guys who are products of that. Whereas then you have other people on the other side, um, you know, it's like the RTRS guys and people who were kind of paying more attention and more dialed in back then. Um, you know, Covington's good, you know, look at what we developed through this, this time period, TJ McConnell, Dario Saric, we got Joel Embiid. Um, you know, and so if those guys do well, um, you know, they, they then are like too far on the other side of the spectrum, <laughs> you know, like the, the process people love Covington and think he's amazing. The non-process people think he's super overrated and don't understand like what he does well defensively. Um, so you have this weird like dichotomy between the, the two sides of the Covington debate. You just can't evaluate the guy as what he is, which was a solid utility guy, a solid role player, a three, a three and D player. He's going to be. I, I don't know about you, but but watching the reaction to him and I don't know I don't know if I would say it was exactly the same, but watching him go out, Covington to me is gonna be the Andre Iguodala of this this era. He's got thirteen right? points like, already tonight, by the way. He's gonna be the guy who when when you watch him go on, you're gonna say that was a guy who could hit, hit well, I Covington's a better three point shooter than Iguodala was when he was traded, but he's a guy who can hit a, a big shot when you need him to. He's a guy that's um, defensively versatile. I, I think, like, eventually you're you're going to see Robert Covington on multiple championship contenders as a six man, and that's perfectly fine. But am I wrong? And, am I and, wrong in that in that assertion that like the fan base was just? I, I've never covered a player or been around a player fan. in Philadelphia that was so that that had such different differing opinions on how people like because viewed him and how they treated him. You know, this is why. The people who weren't following this team or weren't following the league to follow what happened in 2016 when the uh, the cap went berserk and a lot of these crazy deals were signed. I'm thinking of like Alan Crabb, for example. Yeah. When these guys are making like 18 million, 20 million, 25. Yeah. You look at even yeah. like the kind of super max extensions. Like John Wall is going to make 45 million dollars in the last year of his deal. Yeah. Like think about what those numbers are. Mm -hmm. People who went away and then came back expected that like if you're making 20 million a season that means you're like a kobe bryant like a mid-2000s kobe bryant right 25 would be like astronomical and when they came back people started pulling up cap numbers and they're like well, hold on a second in the nba i left robert covington's probably a six million dollars a year guy yeah yeah yeah. 
But because they missed out on that bump and they don't have anything to really compare the market to, they look at $11 million. He's making like 10 and a half this year. Yeah. They look at like $10.5 million and say, well, this guy should be a lot better. Now, the one thing that helped Covington's case that I think kind of helped some of the non-process people who thought he might have been overrated was him making an NBA all-defensive team. Because at least there, you can say, okay, now it's not just a small sect of this fan base that that's hyping him up that's a that's an actual recognition league-wide and he's you know he was constantly said by opposing players as being somebody they don't like to play against they don't like being defended by um i i, th- I think that you are pretty spot on with the reason that he was so polarizing and i t- you know there were plenty of uh of back and forth with people back and forths <laughs> with uh with people who uh said it was all a race thing and i want to get into that oh this yeah the, um, i got into the, i got into a million the, uh, twitter arguments with the people mike mizzanelli tyrone oh God, uh, you yeah. know free throws uh, yeah i went down the, the rabbit they, they i went down right. a rabbit hole of like un unconscious bias and uh all you're kinds of racist yeah. shit yeah, yeah all stuff, kinds yeah. of shit yeah so look I, I i think you're right um covington when when you look at it compared to his peers um, and I'm not going to go into the big cleaning the glass thing now, but like you can pull up percentiles mm-hmm. of like where he ranks among wings, and and he's better than a middle of the road guy. Mm-hmm. So much of what he brought to the table was that defensive versatility, and and a lot of people. This is where I think people got so thrown off is they heard that Robert Covington was this great defender, and they thought that meant as a one on one defender. Yeah, that was never yeah. it. It was he was not he was not to, Bruce, to guard all Bruce Bowen. He was not like Patrick. And people Beverly. didn't understand yeah. that because because yeah. again, like th- this is the thing. It's not only the cap thing. But it's also when people walked away from this game, you had a defined point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they had yeah, defined yeah, yeah. roles. Yeah. And it, it had been the same since like the mid 80s. Like these things hadn't changed. The only thing that a lot of these people who had walked away from the game or from following it every night was that like, okay, a stretch four was maybe starting to happen when a lot of these people bailed on the, the process years. And now you come back and it's like, well, centers are shooting threes now. So <laughs> well, it's true you know that the game changed. Yeah, for sure. The game changed, and these people are just kind of like in this culture shock. But they don't. So when they hear defender, they're like, oh, I think Bruce Bowen, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. It, well, that's not. That's not what. And this that is. goes and and going hand in hand with that too. It. I, I use the term optically challenging. I think the other day in the Covington column that I wrote to kind of describe. Of how people perceive his game because it's very the, the, and the the parts of Rob's game where he struggled like it's very easy for my sixty year old uncle to turn on the game and see him brick three shots in a row and say oh he's dog shit you know right but my sixty year old sixty year old uncle also cannot like identify a good like pre switch or uh you know a good slide and rotation or something like that like he, the the nuance of Rob's defensive game was very like hard for the untrained eye I think to see which is why I went and used some of those deep examples that I could that I could pull out of the video because he just doesn't like like optically it's just very hard um for him to pass the eye test as as related to casual viewers you know what i mean i think people who understood the role of a three and d guy would say a bunch of steals bunch of blocks bunch of deflections and some three pointers that's all he really needed out of him you know so i just think it's it, it's just such a unique thing that he was like kind of the po- if Embiid is like the poster child of the the process then covington is kind of like the spiritual um 
you know, shard of the process is the develop guy who's developed through there. And I think because some people naturally just hated Sam Hinkie and hated the process in general, they kind of that anim animus or I'm sorry, that animosity is, you know, automatically by default then kind of directed at Covington too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have any, um, what else do we have for six? Were there any other Sixers points you wanted to touch on? Cause I did want to do Eagles, but not spend a ton of time on them cause they suck. No, I think that was it. No, I think uh, the Wolves are up ninety-two to eighty-three, oh, oh, you know and Dario's there, there got was, nine. There was one thing. Yeah, there was one thing. So, so uh, obviously at this point, everybody's seen this, but the the fault splitting with Drew Hanlon thing was interesting. Oh yeah, we didn't because get again, it, yeah. like this is this is that fracturing of the, of the fan base and and of Sixers Twitter and NBA Twitter and and their politics and all that. Um, a lot of people seem to think that this was a a situation where Drew Hanlon sold out Markel Fultz. Um, that was one side of it. Is that um, Hanlon, Hanlon, the news of, of he and Fultz not being on speaking terms. So that was uh, Alex Kennedy that reported it on, on Twitter. Yeah, and that came out that, like... That came out right after yeah. Fultz had that weird pump The double clutch free throw. free throw that he said the ball slipped out of his hands. Twice, yeah. Like two different free throws had happened. Yeah. One had happened a little bit mm -hmm. uh, more subtly, but whatever. Um, there, was, there was this thought that like Hanlon got word out, leaked that out. And that, of course, led to uh, Mark Fultz, I think it was today or it was yesterday, uh, retweeting that, that pinned tweet that he has on his account that you really can't trust nobody mm -hmm. tweet, um, which I, I'm not a fan of. I mean, if, if Mark Fultz is going to retweet that every time he, he goes different ways with the trainer, I think we're going to well, see and after saying to, and after Well, and after saying last week, too, you know, I'm not on social media. I don't pay attention to social media. And that was in it's response to the deleted tweet that Hanlon he, put out that said you know Mark he was responding to the other trainer when he said Markel's still not healthy blah 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 you don't know what you're talking about and that yeah well he's also full of crap because remember like I, I put this in in a post uh, earlier this week or over the weekend yeah he he also went on to the the house of highlights Instagram and it was the three-pointer that he, he attempted against I think it was Orlando a few games mm -hmm, ago mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and hit side iron he hasn't taken a three cents and he like put the laughing crying emoji on it and then people started calling him out like dude you shouldn't be laughing at this like get better yeah. yeah yeah so yeah yeah so him him saying that he's not on social media is a joke well he I actually I, I kind of to an extent do believe that jj reddick is off social media <laughs> um sort of uh that's a uh, spikes but, running joke right now isn't it is jj J. J. reddick on social media um yeah i don't know we um here's the thing with hanlon i, I like people got to kind of go back to the beginning of this and they have to um, decide what, uh, th how you want to define Drew Hanlon and what was expected out of him and what the, the job was that was set before him. Um, he's a basketball skills trainer. Uh, so, you know, Occam's razor says, okay, the most simple explanation here is that he was charged with, uh, fixing Markel shot and getting his mechanics back together, you know, you know he's Drew Hanlon's not a sports psychologist. Um, he's not a psychiatrist. You know, he's not charged with, um, you know, bringing Markel into a place where he is mentally, you know, stable and good to go and back to a hundred percent or whatever. Um, and I'm not sitting here saying that those two things are mutually exclusive. Like as a, as a skills trainer, as a shot guy, you know, he can help 
you know, build Markel's mental fortitude and kind of package that all together and say, this is what it takes to be this kind of player. You know, those two things can go hand in hand, you know, I'm going to teach you how to shoot this shot. I'm going to give you the confidence to shoot that shot as well. You know, those, that's kind of, that goes, one thing goes right after the other, because if you get your mechanics back and you feel good about your mechanics, then mentally, you know, you're in a good place. And maybe you start shooting some more three pointers or mid range jump shots or stuff like that, you know? So, um, where am I, where am I, I, I where am it, I going I with it, this? He, I found he, it really funny though, like in, in breaking it down and the, the reaction that people had to it, like a lot of people had turned on Hanlon just from that. Y- yeah. And we're, and we're like yeah. calling him out for being like a fraud or like a, a snake oil salesman. I'm like, well, on one hand, you know, you can say that he didn't fix faults and we don't really know how much of that is physical, how much of it is mental, but like, but is it, is at the, it, at the, is it fixed? Is, is it indeed fixable? That's the thing. You know, if, if well, yeah, Drew Hanlon, so if, if at, Hanlon felt to himself, Hey, I taught this kid, the mechanics, we took 15 bazillion shots or how many it was this summer. I can't teach him anymore. He has to take it from here. And if it's a mental thing, which he suggested it was by saying that he has the yips, on that summer podcast that Markel Fultz disputed and pushed back on, uh, then Hanlon might feel like, look, I did everything I can do for this kid. There's nothing else. He's got to walk through that door on his own now. And as I pointed out on Twitter the other day, Markel has the support of the coaching staff. Uh, he worked with the trainer. He's got the unconditional support of the fan base. He's got starting, he had starting minutes, plenty of opportunities to shoot, uh, the media, we've been relatively restrained in asking him questions. We're not, like, being assholes to him. So, really, the only thing, unless he's got this mysterious whatever the fuck nerve injury theory that's going around Twitter right now, unless that's a unless that's a thing. Nerve, right? like that. Yeah, unless that's a thing. I'm not, like, trying to poo-poo it. I don't know. Um, but unless there's some mysterious injury that we don't know about here, then the only explanation is that it's it's a mental thing that Markel's just got to just gotta, – he's just got to – take that final step and get over him himself because you could sit there and you could shoot a bazillion friggin' shots in a gym with the best trainer in the world. But unless you mentally clear that final hurdle, then um, I don't really know what to tell you, you know? Yeah. That's that, that, what I was getting at is like, I, I just think it's funny the way that people will try to discredit that trainer when it's like, you know, Embiid has taken this massive step. Now, obviously Embiid has intrinsic motivation. He doesn't need anybody else to try to motivate him, mm-hmm. but He's worked with Hanlon again all summer, and he's taken another leap. Jason Tatum, now, Tatum's a little bit of a mixed bag because he also worked a lot with Kobe, and Kobe convinced him, apparently, to uh, take more mid-range jumpers, which has kind of thrown off uh, you know, his his flow and, and Boston's flow. They're, I think they're currently ranked like 19th in the NBA. Mm-hmm. They were in the 20s for a long while. Um, but like Kelly Oubre and Bradley Beal, like these guys have gotten better with him as their trainer, so like these guys don't just flock to a guy who's selling them this like fake bill of goods. I think he is probably a very good trainer and you're, and you're right. Like if, if he felt like he got to the end of the road with faults and he's like, this is, I've given you all the tools and now you have to go and seize this moment mm-hmm. on your own. Mm-hmm. Like you can lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink. Like I, I get that. Like that's fine. Yeah. Um, but the, the way that, that people, you know, once again, took their, their sides on this and were so staunch in their belief. It's like, you know, nobody has been there. Nobody on Twitter who's arguing and, and calling each other a moron was actually in the gym with these yeah, guys. Yeah, that's true. How can you nobody ever qualify Nobody knows what exactly anyway. Hamlin yeah, did. Yeah. We don't have video. Yeah. Now, if a video gets leaked of what uh, Markel looked like in the summer, now this, is, this would be the most damning thing for Markel. If video leaks from the middle of the summer when Hamlin's like, yo, I think you're ready to go, and that jump shot looked fixed, and the second that it's gone 
sideways is when you actually put on the bright lights and he had to come back out, yeah. then it, it tells you 100% it's mad. Well, I mean, you could right? you could like, go on a diet. You could, you could like, sit down with, like, Atkins himself, whoever the hell, whatever his first name is, the Atkins diet, right? You could learn every single Carl? damn thing. Was it Carl Atkins? No, we'll I think it's up. Robert, actually. Robert Atkins. You could He could teach you everything about low carbs and, you know, how to you know, portion your meals and, you know, what time of the day you want to eat and stuff like that. And he could teach you every damn thing there is to know about his diet, right? But it's still on you to put the right food in your body and to... It was, to, it was Robert? Okay, good. Um, it was Robert, well done. He, he can't keep you... When he cuts you loose, he says, I have taught you everything. And you could get in your car and you could drive right to Taco Bell and get a double chalupa, right? I mean, it's still mm-hmm. on you to to finish it to to execute it to take it to to the end you know so you can take mark hillfolds to that chick-fil-a but you can't make him eat that <laughs> six-piece kids nugget which is delicious you want it, that spicy yeah the spicy chicken deluxe yum that's right the chocolate chip cookies oh the milk you could tell him you know a million times get this the superfood side but you know, yeah, it's on eat, him eat to your kale, p- eat your kale whey protein that's right exactly bar. but you know what I mean so like at, at some point you know, he's just going to have to do it himself. <laughs> he does. You can't say he doesn't have a support system around him because he does. Um, and if this mysterious injury is a thing, then either the, un- then the next thing is that, okay, is the Sixers medical staff totally 100 million percent inept, or is there some kind of dispute here between them and Markel's people, which would be even more of a black hole that we don't have to go down now, but it would be something to think about if it ever came to that. I can't imagine there's any other kind of shoulder thing here, but I do find it interesting that Markel did did push back on the yips thing um, when he was asked about it at media day. So, yeah. I'm, All right, let's move on to... Uh, this, do you want to talk about the This Eagles is what I want to do for Eagles, I just because honestly, I could not even re- really remember much of a, a thing at all about the game. So let me just go through my takeaways. I just want to read through the bullet points and you, you tell me what you think, okay? Golden Tate only played like 20-some snaps. Oh, man. I mean, surely you got to feature him if you're going to go out. You only got eight games to use him, right? I mean, bef- I really thought you were going to go fart noise. That that's what I thought you. No, I called. I, I during yeah during the middle of the game they put um Mertidas put the riled up phone number um up there and I was like loopy. It was like a long day. I don't know. I was like tired or something. I was at oh you know I was at the shore that day at our my um in-law shore house which is more like a house in the woods and we were pulling the dock privilege yeah i was using my privilege to pull the dock sections out of um out of the water in the freezing cold um and so i was just like tired so i saw the riled up number there so i called the riled up number i just made a fart sound into (laughs) you actually yeah and i listened to riled up the next day to see if they used it and they didn't so i don't know the cuz must have found out about it and put the put the the kibosh on there you know but I mean, they said that they didn't use Golden Tate that much because they went to, you know, you know they started, you know, just going like tempo kind of, um, you know, verbal calls and stuff like that. And they weren't, you know, it wasn't the stuff that was like part of the package that involved him or whatever the stuff that he had been caught up on. Um, so yeah. I guess I understand that. Um, what's my second bullet point? I mean, the the running game, whatever. I I just think Josh Adams is just a guy. Uh, I don't really see yeah. anything special about him. You can find guys like that diamond does. I prefer they'd run him up, up and down north and south instead of this bull, these bullshit pitches and these sweeps that they keep giving him. I mean, the dude's six foot two, 225 pounds. You're going to run him sideways. It's like what chip Kelly did with DeMarco Murray. Um, injuries in. Oh, Hey, real quick. A uh, quote just came out. Yeah. This is because we're doing this. Uh, uh, 
Joel Embiid said he was pissed he was taken out when he was hot in the first quarter. He said, I'm pissed twice. When asked if he tried to persuade Coach Brown to leave him in, he said, I'm used to it. Those are the rotations. He did acknowledge that he missed too many shots. Uh, okay. Well, that's mm. – yeah. All right. Mm. <laughs> well, Brett's – it's on it's Brett now bit, to figure it out. A yeah. little bit of side eye on the rotations. Okay. All right. Well, that's something to keep uh, – that's not having a good feel for the game. Yeah, yeah true, true. Now you got to massage these uh, talents in the locker room, these attitudes. You know, not not attitude that they have attitude. This is not quite Draymond Green and uh, Kevin Durant, but I don't yeah, like for it. For fuck's sake, with that thing, yeah. Um, Sidney Jones comes back, I guess, against the Saints. Does it matter at all, or did the Saints hang seventy points on the Eagles on Sunday? Uh, Rasul Douglas did not play well the other night. Um, I don't think it matters, man. God, they had Craven LeBlanc in there, I think. Did they not? Or? I actually think they might do better without Ronald Darby. Am I crazy for thinking that? So who plays? Not- so your outside corners this week are Rasul and Sidney Jones, and then you have Avante Maddox playing in the slot. Sounds fine. And then you have Corey, <laughs> Corey Cram and Malcolm Jenkins in the secondary. I Look, guess. you have two outside corners who aren't going to fall for every double move in the book, so that's not When's so the last? You know, let me ask you this question. When's the last time an Eagles linebacker made a play this year? Uh, first game. Yeah, and I was really high on Nigel Bradham last year, but I, he hasn't done anything that stood out to me. And Jordan, neither is Jordan Hicks. They committed zero penalties the other night, zero for zero zero yards. That's insane. <laughs> and they lost. Um, Zach Ertz is on pace for 132 catches, 177 targets, 1,400 yards, and nine touchdowns. That's like ridiculous. That's like Hall of Fame numbers. You know, if he does, you know five more seasons of that you know um i always do this part of the takeaways now where i do this like peripheral like these like time of possession turnover margin third down stuff like that and it's usually how they won games last year they were very good at these they lost the time of possession battle for the first time in like weeks 33 to 27 minutes minus one turnover margin with the carson interception they're only four for 10 on third down 40 percent over two and fourth down they had the terrible play call with josh adams there that run you're going to run behind big v at right tackle with nelson aguilar and, and zach Ertz on that side Run to run to the strong side of the line. Don't run to the side of the line that has your injured right tackle, or that does not have your injured right tackle. Dallas was fifty percent on third down. They were one for one on fourth down with a fake punt. Um, you know, <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, blah, blah blah. Doug's best call. Doug's worst call. Doug's worst call was like all of them. You know. Um, the broadcast. You know, I thought it was funny that Al Michaels called Geno Stakes one of the city treasures. Um, well, maybe it is to him. Well, it's like a cultural mark, landmark icon. I don't know if Geno I mean, Stakes like, is a I, treasure. Uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, One man's trash is another man's that's trash. That's honestly, Russ, that's really all I got to say about the Eagles. Okay. As a matter I of honestly, fact, like, that's all I got to say about We've uh, we've lost some. Your Stephen A. was probably better. St- well, this is how we're going to regain we start, the steam. We started off. Okay. I want to regain the steam by talking about this NJ.com job posting. What a thing! Do you want to set what it a up? Time to be alive because this whole segment could just be me bitching the whole time, not bitching, but just like talking the whole time. Would you Would you like to have the honor of introducing the job post? Would you like to? Should I read the job post? Do you want me to pull it? I up? can pull it up if you want. You know what you do. Okay. Do whatever you. Kevin Manahan from is the sports director at nj.com and he put this job posting up on twitter the other day it was five parts and this is how it reads verbatim okay 
Do you want me to hype this up for you? Do you want do you want like hype man status, or are you gonna? Nah, because it's kind of well. Do you want to read it in a Stephen A. Smith? Um, I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. <laughs> you should read it because I, I want to react to it. I don't want yeah, you to. I, I don't you want to you react. to sit here, here for five minutes. <clears throat> here we go. Oh, there's the uh, the Mizzinelli post. Here we go, Missinelli. I by the way, I, I took heat again because I call Mike Mizzinelli instead of Missinelli, oh. and it upsets a few people. Like there's like four people who get triggered on Twitter for it. So. Oh. Okay. Mike and I are cool, by the way. It was a it was a misunderstanding today. Oh yeah, he just thought that you were a, an extension of Kyle. It was really cute on yeah. Twitter, I like that. Kink who? Google me. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> NJ Advanced Media looking for a digital journalist to cover the Philadelphia 76ers. The part-time position, monthly stipend, includes covering practices, shootarounds, home games, and occasional travel. If you prove you're worth the investment. Contact me if you have covered a pro or college team, and not from your basement. You know the difference between reporter and content creator, and you can do both. You have a tireless work ethic. You can write sentences. You know what a sentence is. You know the NBA and or the Sixers. You can ask tough questions. You are not the reporter standing outside the pack recording over everyone else's shoulders. You've heard of Twitter. You pay attention to what fans are talking about on social media or sports talk radio. You react quickly to news. You want to do the job more than you want a press box seat and a business card that says sports writer. You are ready for a great opportunity. Dazzle me with your brilliance in an email to kmanahan at njadvancemedia.com. <laughs> BT Dubs, here are some of our former Philly bloggers. At Jordan Randon, at Elliot Shore Parks, at M- Matt Lombardo NFL, at Zach Blatt. You might recognize the names. I'm Jim Rome, and this is what I'm burning on. <laughs> well, thanks, Jim. That was a good setup by you. Hysterical. Yeah. Hysterical. Is that the is that Jim Rome or the Frank Caliendo impersonation of, of Jim Rome? NJ.com. Hysterical. <laughs> Incredible. Arugula. Count Chocula. <laughs> Um, so this guy Manahan got like crushed for this thing and it was on Deadspin and I wrote my thing about it on the website but basically it just comes off as like snarky and kind of bullshit like in general right like obviously I've heard of Twitter if I'm reading about your fucking job posting on Twitter right like I yeah I know what a sentence is one would assume, one would assume. <laughs> what is he trying to if say with that I'm like uh well you know what a sentence know. is I mean the only people who don't know what a sentence is are like teleprompter people on tv Ba-doom. um that was a deep television joke I don't think that really <clears throat> rolls with our demographic you don't think it's gonna resonate with the uh listeners. no but listen so people were basically saying like okay it sounds like you're describing a full-time job here like okay so you you want somebody to do like practices shoot arounds home games and occasional travel oh and you got to prove you're worth the investment well if you want somebody to prove they're worth the investment why don't you just fucking hire the right person in the first place <laughs> like why would you why would yeah. you why would you hire somebody who then has to prove they're worth your investment that sounds like it's a pretty bad hire by you and also this guy sounds like the uh do you remember the commercials they used to play for like that uh, recruiting company, like Smart Recruiter or Zip Recruiter, some shit like that, where it's like the the corny ass boss, and he's like, "Man, hiring employees is it's such so a tough. drag, man. I have yeah. to sort through resumes, and I gotta like spend my time like reading, you know, cover letters, and I might actually have to call them and talk to them on the phone. Like God, God fucking forbid. LOL. Yeah, God forbid. I want, I want to outsource that, and then you end up with a shitty hire, and then you're like, 
you know, why am I not getting the most out of my employees? So this guy Manahan, I just if you uh, were if you were looking for somebody who does cutting edge stuff, and instead you get oh, come on, bow with the primo with the sesame <laughs> seed. Oh, look at this cocaine here, Kevin. Welcome on into the meat freezer. How's it going? Yeah, bow, uh, buddy. Uh, <clears throat> if that's what you ended up with, you might need to change your hiring practices. I'm just saying. I'm just a so guy. people. I mean, so people start getting on the guy because they're just like, you know, like why don't you pay and uh, you know a real salary for this job and why don't you, you know, why do you sound like such an asshole with this? You know, maybe it's not such a great opportunity. You know, but but I mean, like the guy, the guy didn't ever say how much money they were paying. Okay, he didn't say how many hours you were doing. But to me, the way I look at this, covering practice shoot arounds, home games, and occasional travel, that's more than twenty hours a week. It's probably twenty five to thirty per week, honestly. So what is the monthly stipend? I don't know. It's just like you would think like, and why is it a part-time position anyway? Like if you can afford to make it a full-time position, there aren't a lot of full-time writing jobs out there. You know, we, we, yeah. you know, all of them are valuable. So you would hope that at least, you know, a, a publication like NJ.com would think enough of the Sixers beat that they can make a full-time job out of it with benefits. Um, so he got ripped into the high heavens for that. But like he, it, it's true. Like, Elliot Shore Parks turned that gig there into a full-time gig with WIP. Uh, Matt Lombardo now covers the Giants for NJ.com. Uh, Zach went over from the Sixers and he now does the Eagles, which was which was Elliot and Matt's old job, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I know it sounds kind of shitty that there's not a lot. It sounds like there's not a lot of money in this, and this guy's kind of like an asshole or whatever, but. I mean, I worked for free and for very little money doing multiple jobs um, back in the day because I saw an opportunity there to kind of get in the door and maybe turn those jobs into some kind of money. Like I started out doing the union for $150 a month, which became $300 a month, which became $500 a month. So it worked It worked wow. for me. You know, it worked for me. I'm not saying that's the right path or that's how it should be, but it might be the right decision for somebody. If you can, if you also then want to work another side job or other jobs, a lot of freelance journalists work multiple jobs. So you're not sitting here saying you're making a living just off of one monthly stipend from NJ.com. You would be doing that in addition to writing articles at crossing broad or, you know, doing something else on the side, stringer gigs, high school, high school football, something like that. You know what I mean? That's what being a freelance journalist is. You work multiple jobs. I worked like five jobs at once before I came to, to crossing broad. When I came here, I dropped four other jobs to take this job. Um, and those four jobs, well, the five jobs that I was doing that got me like $47,000 total. So I felt like I made enough money off of that. Plus what my wife was making that we were comfortable. Okay. Um, I look at the end of the day, I don't, I don't find it ideal that like a Sixers job in a major market would be considered a monthly stipend, like part-time kind of job, but it's a free market capitalist country, you know, and if we don't like it, then don't apply for the job. Um, don't read nj.com tweet Kevin Manahan and tell him he's an asshole, whatever, you know, I think it's also the onus is also on us to kind of take a step back and say, okay, how do we make ourselves more valuable? you know, and how do we make money in other ways? You know, look at, look at Kyle's a perfect example. You know, Kyle was in the corporate world, just like most of us were decided he wanted to do something different. So he started his own website and look, look where crossing broad is now. You know, he's got you and me, a couple of assholes here on his podcast, you know, speak right. So 
but that's really kind of what the system is. It's if you don't like what somebody else is doing, go do your own version of it or go do it bigger and better or go start your own small business or something like that, right? I understand why people are disappointed in this, but if 25,000 people sit here and write Deadspin-style articles saying Kevin Manahan is an asshole and nobody should take this job and nobody should apply for it, there might be one kid who already works three other jobs who can fit this into their schedule who says, maybe I can turn this into something else. So, you know what I mean? It's it, it's yeah, not, it's not like ideal, the, the, but I mean, it, it is a path that works for some people, you know? There was that, that sect of, of Twitter that gets outreached about a lot of things who... Um, I, I actually sent you the one thread. Of yeah, they came They came pretty hard at me t- today on that. No, it was a different Well, guy. like those types oh, of people. It, where, where it's like, well, you know, you can say that from your privilege. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like, back back up the, the train a second. If if you're going to cover a team, um, they, like, there there is a big-time component to it. And, you know, uh, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like, I'm not doing... The, uh, the Flyers beat full-time, I would lose my mind. I'd also lose my main job. Um, but when you're making that trip down, like even for weekends, like to go do that drive down to Voorhees or to go down and actually cover a game from start to finish, like by the time I leave work or I leave my house to go down to a Flyers game, cover it, get the quotes, start typing something up from press row, and then get home, I'm gone like seven hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not like the lower end. It could be anywhere from seven to nine. And as we get into like the winter where people people get an accident on the blue route for just being idiots. And like now mixing the icy conditions, like I'm I'm absolutely petrified of, of what this commute's going to look like. But like, yeah. yeah, if I were trying to do this thing part time, like the, the stipend would have to be pretty significant. Right. Yeah. But like part of that is also you're building out a portfolio. So, like, if you don't like that, then, yeah, you have to find another job to supplement. People just got to... If that means you're making sandwiches at yeah. Wawa, then you're making sandwiches yeah. at Wawa. If that means you're a substitute teacher during the day, then be a substitute teacher during the day. Like, see, that, that to me, this is the, the thing that I, I find upsetting because nobody really ever seems to care. Substitute teachers, right? These people go out and they get a college degree. A lot of them get it in education. They spend, you know, X amount of dollars either at a, a state or private institution just like anybody else does. And they get absolutely no respect at all. Uh, you know, there are a few schools, I'm sure, that are the uh, the exception to the rule. But for the most part, substitute teacher walks in. What's the first thing a kid thinks? Party yeah. time. Like, we're going to make this person's life. Yeah, they're going to show us a video. They're going like to pull up the, the TV and we're going to watch a video for 40 minutes. Yep. Yeah. So, like, these people don't get respect, yet they go to school. They're just as qualified in many you know cases as, as anybody else. But they don't get respect. And, like, what, what do they do, Kevin? They don't sit back and say, like, you know, I'm not getting paid yeah. enough. I mean, a lot of people, people that I know who have, have had to do that for a couple of years until, you know, a contract breaks their Amen. way or an LTS yep. job opens up, they do day-to-day subbing. Some, sometimes these people make, like, $80 a day to go in and, and essentially babysit your yeah. kids, taxpayer. And, like, they don't go out on these, like, Twitter rants about how unfair it when is. When I was sitting I mean, there. That's, that's seven and a half hours a day. Yep. That somebody's getting paid anywhere from like eighty to maybe a hundred bucks, depending on the district. Russ, when I was sitting there, when I was sitting there covering the union and working at Channel Three, I refed youth soccer games for like thirty-five dollars a game, or like forty-five dollars if you were in the middle. I I waited tables at Revolutions in Fishtown to make some extra money on the side. I had a consulting gig with a firm in London that paid me like fifty dollars per consultation to talk about talk about MLS. Um, so I become like personally offended when people say, well, you were able to do that monthly stipend shitty reporting job because of your, like, you could, you could afford to do it because of like, 
because of what? Because because what? I'm like I'm white, and my parents are paying my bills, or I live in my mom's basement, or something like that. It was not that at all. Like I worked like multiple jobs, like five different jobs, because I knew that the monthly stipend wasn't supposed to be a full time job. You know what I mean? Like so. Yeah. All I could really do was keep my head down, work my ass off. I lived in a friend's house and paid him rent to live there for two and a half years. Then I moved to another friend's house for two more years. Uh, my parents didn't pay a single one of my bills or whatever. My mom uh, was the first in her family to graduate from college and raised me while she was working part-time at the McDonald's in Boyertown. My dad was commuting from Gilbertsville to Jenkintown at Holy Redeemer Hospital for 15 years, picked up second shift hours working at Wawa making sandwiches to help her pay for college. So it's not like, like not everybody who comes through and takes these like <laughs> these shitty reporting jobs does so because they have the luxury of like being loaded with cash or being like some trust fund kid or like having like, you know, being able to do that because they don't have any other responsibilities. You know, like a lot of us were freelance journalists who worked in multiple jobs. You know, we, we took on multiple jobs, really didn't make a lot of money. And we spent most of our 20s working um, nights, weekends, graveyard, all kinds of bullshit holidays. I worked like every Christmas for like 10 years straight. Um, now I'm age 34 and I have a full time job. Um, you know, doing this for crossing broad. So I feel like I worked to earn that, but I don't, I don't feel like, um, I had any special, I don't want to use the word like privilege, but I don't feel like I had any, any more, um, you know, it's not like I was afforded the opportunity to sit there and only work one part-time job. Cause I had like this, like res huge reserves of cash just sitting around. Like it didn't, it didn't work that yep. way. You know what I mean? So yep. anyway, I don't really, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> I just don't want people to assume that like, everybody who gets a writing job or makes it in this, in this industry is like automatically like comes from a place where they're like, their parents have a shore house in Avalon. And like, you know, we walk around wearing like boat shoes and our parents know the police chief and they got us out of trouble when we were younger and shit. Like, it's just like, you know, a lot of us worked multiple jobs. A lot of us worked our ass off. You know, we saw opportunity where there was and we were okay working for of uh, not as much money because we also understood that sports writing is not being a fucking police officer or a firefighter or a nurse or like an EMT or something. Like at the end of the day, we are very like expendable. What we do is a luxury. You know, if this was like the walking dead and they needed people to rebuild society after it collapsed, like the sports writers would not be able to contribute that much. You know, <laughs> we're not like yeah. engineers or metal workers or, or we don't do like carpentry. Right. Um, yeah. So I just think, you know, at the end of the day, would I love everybody, every outlet to be able to pay like full-time jobs and benefits for everything? Sure. I, obviously, I would love that. But, you know, some people might say, hey, monthly stipend and opportunity to cover the six years, I can make that work. And I think that's the right path for me. And I don't think people should be criticized for that, you know? Yep, I agree. Okay, anyway, on to more, po on to more positive things. <laughs> There's, there are some times that you just make a, a really good point, and I, I, I have nothing to add. <laughs> Sometimes, not all the time. No, but like really. I, you're you're spot on. I, it's always funny to me, like the people who get upset when you lump a whole group of people together, then get like then go out and build their whole soapbox on using pretty much the exact same. Tactics. Listen, man, was my was my starting point maybe different than you know somebody else who grew up in a different neighborhood or in a different like sure. you know income setting? Sure, I'm sure it was, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like, the only thing I can really do is just sort of keep my head down, fucking go to school, work hard get good grades, go to college, you know, work my ass off, try to be a decent fucking human being, you know, like that's all I can, I can really do, you know? So, um, 
do I, do I wish there was more diversity in, in the sports writing career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, or not in the career. I mean like the groups of people who do it. Um, but you can't just like automatically poo poo people who decide that, Hey, I'm going to take this shitty stipend job. Cause I think it'll work for me. You know I mean? There's, di- there's different ways to, to do it. You know, you can't, you can't say one, one way is the, the right way. And one way is definitely the wrong way because people are going to see opportunity in different places, you know, and that's kind of what yeah. America is. So I, I look at what's happening even with the site, right? Like everybody who put in, put together writing samples or whatever, um, and, and got hired, um, here. And like for the podcast, like the, I mean, I remember going back through the uh, the audition phase for this thing with uh, with Kyle and eventually with Lefko and then what that whole thing was, um, but like the, it didn't it didn't matter. Sorry, I just spilled something. Good. <laughs> it didn't matter what your uh, what your background was. It was it really was. Could you put together a coherent thought? And could you make something? Engaging? Well, the interesting thing too is that like and, half the then you have like half these people coming out and saying like I worked for Kevin Manahan, he was an asshole, and then the other half are like I worked for him and he was a great dude. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's exactly what you expect from America. Yeah, I mean, right? some like, people had good experiences it's with all, this guy. It's all some team people, mentality. Some people it's all happening. You know? So yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Like, like even look at there. There are two openings. I think still with the site that like they're going mm-hmm. through a process with for what is it, gambling editor and like the video, video producer, stuff. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, people who put together a portfolio, people who are, are working with programs that can, like, put together a, a thing that is at least somewhat interesting, like, they're going to get a shot, right? And, like, will some people have better resources because they work for better companies or companies with better resources? Sure. But, like, if you've got limited resources and you can make the most of it and you can put that thing together and, and like, catch Kyle's eye, well, then, like, you have a shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, you're so, right, you're I, right. I don't know. I just, there, there are obviously certain fields that... Um, gender wise race wise whatever like it's going to be a a tougher slog i feel like in sports media if if you're able to put together a a coherent writing sample and you present yourself well in an interview setting and put together like a a somewhat respectable portfolio i think you have a shot right and all you need is a foot in the door and if even if this guy is a total jerk even if working at this place isn't the best you know (laughs) I, his his like last tweet is kind of a throwaway that oh you might have heard of these people but it's like it's true like the, those people like yeah, I don't know yeah. what Lombardo and Elliot Shore Parks and Zach Blatt were doing before they started working for NJ.com but like they have found success in their career and like maybe that means there were like 30 other people who were hired that didn't do jack diddly squat only worked there for a few weeks or a few months but like they do have a track yeah. record of, of putting out people in this position so like if you are able to balance, you know, these new responsibilities for whatever this part-time job is with, you know, another job, then, like, more power to you. If you can't, it's okay. But, like, again, that these aren't the only places that you can apply to and put your writing yeah, samples in. Like, any time, it's, it's funny. Like, even on the Crossing Broad Facebook account, we'll, like, get the occasional message where it's, like, somebody wants to pass along their writing sample to Kyle. And it's, like, well, first of all, if you honestly think that Kyle's going to find time in the day to read your writing sample, you're out of your mind. But, like, sure, we'll pass it along. Like, maybe... <laughs> Maybe maybe he'll, maybe he'll get to it in uh, like March, but like who knows? Um, but like all of these these online things, like all of the the new media stuff that's out there, like you go viral with one clip, like it it takes literally no effort whatsoever to put together a video, post it on YouTube or on 
Periscope or on Snapchat or on in your Instagram story and try to get it to go viral. And if it does, somebody will pick you up. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I think that's the kind of thing that's leveled the playing. Well, field. look, I mean, in a perfect and, world, I mean, there's a lot of jobs for sports writers. They all pay a lot of money and everybody gets benefits, you know, <laughs> but it's, yeah, we do, we just don't live in that world. You know, and it's not to say that I don't, I don't want to live in that world, but um, that's what America is for better or for worse, you know, and it's, that's, that's free market capitalism, you know, and if you don't like what Kevin Manahan is advertising, if you don't like what he's selling, don't buy it, don't apply for the job, start your own shit and say, you know what, Kevin Manahan, you're a total fucking asshole and I'm going to make a site that's bigger and better than yours and you're going to be irrelevant, you know, I mean, it's not the, yeah. the easiest path from A to B, but that's kind of like what the, what this country is predicated on. So, so I don't know. I just found it interesting how that kind of, uh, <laughs> I think he was just trying to be clever with the, you know, the job posting turned into like a huge, uh, you know, in internet, um, thing of self-reflection among, among every single journalist in the, in the country, you know, but yeah. anyway, uh, all right, well, you got a final point. Do you want to make good. a final flyers point before we uh, wrap it up here? Uh, you don't have to, I, it's, that's a, you could, just as well say no. It's not that I don't want to. It's, just, it's, it's a bummer because like here, here we are like the, the first goalie. show in a while, and it's like the Eagles lost, the Sixers yeah. lost, and the Flyers. Yeah, we were lost. hoping the Butler thing was going to be kind of like a like a coming out party, you know? Yeah, um, Philly still haven't signed anybody. The union they got rid of their pitching mess. coach today, per reports. Yeah, the union um, are not playing in Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem Steel's moving. Jim Curtin, I'm not sure. Weird. I'm trying to that, find that out if he's coming back or not. Why aren't they playing at Jay Bernie Crumb? Which, where's that? Jay Bernie Crumb's in Allentown. Oh. Why not just move Steel there? Like, it's a good uh, stadium. I don't know. It has you lights. Totally could have worked. I don't know why they wouldn't, but yeah. okay. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, so that, that's the thing. Flyers, the, the only thing I'll say is, uh, I know Anthony is working on trying to get a, a real big guest on for us. Know the goalie. So Anthony we'll Gargano? No. <laughs> no. Oh, Anthony our Anthony. Come on, Bo. Come on, both Know the goalie. Ah, you know, I like snow. I like going to Primo's when it's snowing and get the Soprano hoagie and get it with the pepper shooters <laughs> and the hot chicken buffalo cutlets bow. Anyway, I don't even know if that's what he sounds like. I'm just going to lie to myself and say that that's what Gargano sounds like. But now uh, Anthony Sanfilippo is working on getting. Are you guest. sure? Are you Hopefully sure we'll... you're not the guy who used to call into the Inna show and do the do ah, the cuts? Come on, Joshy. Josh, Joshy, 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 Joshy. How you doing? You sure bro? it's not you? Because you really you sound exactly you know what? like him. It's actually it's legitimately like morphing into. A, do you remember the movie Eight Crazy Nights? Did you ever see it? the Adam Sandler cartoon? It was like around oh, Christmas and um, Hanukkah. Yeah, I know what you're talking. I don't think I've seen it. No. Whitey no. Duvall was the uh, the name of the basketball ref, little old man. He had like a no. I was doing uh, half baked jokes with a friend the other night, actually. Oh, man, Whitey Duvall. That was like my favorite voice to do back in the day. How you doing, Bob? Nice to make you request. You've seen going out on the basketball court. You've seen like, half baked, right? But Kyle hasn't. Is that what? No, you I haven't seen half baked. No, Jesus Christ! Okay, that's right. Because I tried to do a half baked joke on this podcast before, and fucking nobody got it. But except for like one guy who like, like hit a, me up on Twitter the next day and like appreciated my half baked joke. That sounds like a good excuse for a a Fishtown film night. Yeah, yeah. Very I gotta excited. get um, some people over here. We'll set up. Uh, we'll get half baked going on the on the Blu-ray, and because uh, I still have a I still have a DVD of it. Believe it or not, and uh, we'll Here's watch. Here's the only uh, flyers. I want to talk to Samson. We're still on. That's what we'll watch. Okay. 
The only Flyers point I'm going to make is James Van Riemsdyk's either coming back Thursday or Saturday. Okay. Still not sure. Wouldn't be surprised if it's Thursday. Um, but it looks like he's going to slot onto the third line. They're they're in a weird spot, and Anthony and I have, have talked about it on Snow the Goalie and then on the Press Row Show on Facebook Live and on Periscope. How's the jam but been in the building? Has there been some fucking jam in the building? No, there's been no, no jam. There's been no jam. I, I'm serious. Now, I, I've said on on the other show that like I, I don't think there's 16,000 people in the arena on any given night. Like I think it's it's woefully low. Uh, obviously, the paid attendance is near sellout for pretty much every mm-hmm. game. But a lot of that is ticket brokers. No. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're really not butts in seats, um, which I, I think is part of why there was such an urgency. Dave Scott from Comcast Spectacore was in Hextall's box a couple weeks ago. There, There is clearly that pressure. Like, those are people who aren't buying concessions, aren't paying for parking, um, aren't buying apparel in the pro shop. Like, that's all money that they're losing out on because the, the fan base is just kind of apathetic. Sure, sure. They went on this, like, 5-0-1 six-game stretch where they were looking awesome, and they look kind of... A, the first period was bad against Florida, um, a little bit better in the second, but they gave up two goals. Third period, they they really did come out with jam. But there was this little section of, of small children in the lower level chanting, let's go Panthers, and they were louder for the most part in that game. It, like Over the stretch of three rows deep over two sections, they were louder than most of the arena mm. was, even after the Flyers scored their, their only goal of the game. The home, home ice advantage does not exist right now with this team. And oddly... Um, I hadn't picked up on this. This was something that, that Anthony picked up on in the um, post-game press conference uh, a few games ago. But Hackstall had even said, like, the guys just – he called a timeout, and he said, like, the guys just needed to, you know, disregard what was going on the other side of the glass, which was, like, the first time that he's really publicly come out and kind of intimated that, like, the fans really are getting in the players' heads, yeah. especially, you know, when they're playing at home. And it's something that you would think as a pro athlete, you might not let affect you that much. But that was a very telling quote by the coach. Um, if, if nothing else, if you haven't been checking in with the Flyers, I would say they're getting Van Riemsdyk is going to be big for them. I don't know if they're going to you know, go off on this breakneck speed leading into Thanksgiving, but they're, they're worth a watch right now. They have been playing a, a little bit more exciting brand of, of hockey, but like ultimately they're probably about a five. Let's, um, let's end it on this. I'm looking at Twitter right now. And uh, there's uh, the site or the Twitter account B-Ball Index, um, which has like 8,000 some followers, has a story out that was just published. Source, Markel Fultz may have been forced into working with Drew Hanlon. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Wait, hang on. I'm trying to find this. I'm trying to find this account. B-Ball yeah. Index? It's the right, underscore B-Ball underscore. Oh, it's Yeah, the. let's just leave that for, yeah. I, we'll just, let's just end you know with what, the though? fart noise. Can we end true? with the fart noise? Yeah, okay. That's, I don't want to, I just don't want to do the Markel Fultz thing again this year. You know, like, I feel like we had, like, gotten over, like, gotten over this whole thing, you know? Wouldn't it be a thing if, like, he gets so frustrated by it and he's, like, so spiteful that he ends up, like, regaining his form and he's just like, I did it wow. on my own? That would be a quite a turn. To quote yeah, Markel Fultz, right you really can't trust nobody. Hey, maybe he was speaking the truth this whole time. We just didn't know it. Hmm. Speaking his All right, well, truth. well, that's what you have to do in this life. I'm, uh, I'm Skip Bayless. Thanks for tuning in again uh, to Undisputed. And we will see you next time for when I flip-flop um, for the X consecutive time for however long I've been doing the show.
We lost so much steam in this show. We went down like the Titanic. But don't worry, we will be back again, hopefully later this week, with even more Philadelphia sports takes. For Skip, I am Steve. We will talk to you again soon.